Hello and welcome to Grace Lifestyle Bosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. I started off the series and saying about hyper grace and someone came to me and says, glad I found a grace church because I'm not looking for hyper grace. And I've been, I've been in this game, game long enough to not answer that question. <laughs> I said, so glad you found us, buddy. And um, yeah, I think buddy is still with us, even though it's at a different campus. But um, yeah, we need to, to realize the, um, the, there's no word really to describe it. That's why radical works, the, the depth. The, like Paul tries to explain it in Ephesians, the love of God, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, the, the, the unfathomableness of what God is and who he is and what he's done for us. And then, um, like I said, one of the, the, the things that came up last week for me was a lot of people said, thank you for the word, but it was challenging. And I was like, how can it be challenging? It's such a freeing word. It's such an amazing message. It's such a radical grace teaching. And, um, and what, I, what I'm also wanting to do is when I get feedback like that, I, I try and, 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 and learn and hear and, and speak and converse because then I know there's questions that I need to answer. And today's message really comes from those conversations that I had with some people who's listening online, some people who's here in the room. And um, I want to teach on this morning applying radical grace. Because the, the feedback has been that it's amazing for me to realize and to hear how God has sees me, how God's made me new, how God's forgiven me. I mean, that's the amazing grace. But now, to live it out, that's the challenge. How do I do parenting with grace? How do I forgive someone for the upteenth time? Or, or how do I keep on um, whatever? Like, like, it's one thing to receive, but Jesus said, as you've received, so give. And, and we'll look at that this morning, and I think that's important. But what I wanted to say is, the fact that people ask those questions, for me, is a great sign of maturity. And if you haven't asked that question, there's no condemnation, but maybe just ask yourself, why? Because... People are not coming just to listen to a message and get a revelation. They're looking to apply a message. The word says, faith without works is dead. So we need to come and hear the message and then, oh, it's challenging if I now need to apply it. Um, and that's sort of the conversation we should be having with ourselves. Amen? If you're not having conversations with yourself, you lie because you're having conversations with yourself all the time. Just keep your mouth shut so people don't realize, okay? Otherwise, we'll pray for you. But let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the radical grace message, Father, but that it's news. It's news of what has happened, of what you have done. And thank you that, Father, your word shows us how to apply it, how to live this out, and how to be radical in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, basically, the message of John the Baptist, what we looked at, is repentance. And repentance is not confession. Repentance is change your mind. And in this case, he was preaching a message to say, Hey guys, change your mind about how God deals with the sin issue. That's what the message of John the Baptist. You think... God is dealing with the sin issue in this way or with the problem of um, political oppression in another way. But the message of John the Baptist was, guys, if you're not going to wake up, you're going to miss it. That was the message. If you're not going to wake up, you're going to miss it. And did they miss it? Yes, they did. So they're still asleep. Some people didn't, but some did. Isaiah 43, verse 18 from the Amplified Classic says, Do not earnestly remember the former things, neither consider the things of old. I'm giving you some New Year's verses. That's not New Year's verses, by the way. I'm giving you some uh, ministry ammunition. If someone sends you this verse, then you can say, Hey, thank you so much. 
do you know that this actually applied to Jesus on the cross? <laughs> God's not about to do a new thing in a new year. No, God's done a new thing. I think that's the message we need to get. God has done what God is going to do. We like to have a fresh start. And we said last week, you always get another chance with God. God's not a God of second chances. Because after two, then you're gone. It's like three strikes and you're out. No, God is a God of another chance. It says, behold, look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do not perceive, do you not perceive and know it? And will you give, not give heat to it? So the, the prophet Isaiah is really saying, behold, look at, wake up. I'm doing something new. See it. Don't miss it. John the Baptist comes years later and he says, Guys, God's going to do something that was promised from the start. It's going to happen now. Repent. It's not sacrifice. It's not, it's, not, um, it's not in the temple. I mean, Jesus didn't die in the temple. Ever thought of that? Jesus came from another priesthood. That's a message that I unfortunately do not have time for today. But he did not just fulfill the Aaronic priesthood that Aaron bring, brought in. No, he is according to the order of Melchizedek. That's a whole different message. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Who's going to do it? Okay, so behold, repent, change your mind of how God deals with sin. It's not your problem. It's not your responsibility. It's not even your ability to deal with sin. I, even I, will do it. That's the message that Jesus comes and lives out. He's the one who does it. Isaiah 43, 18 from the Passion says, Stop dwelling on the past. Don't even remember these former things. I am doing something brand new. Something unheard of. It was there. It was just mysterious. It was, not it was the mystery unrevealed. It was there in the dark sayings, but they missed it. Even now it sprouts and grows and matures. Don't you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and open up flowing streams in the desert. That's really speaking about the Holy Spirit and the life of us. We are the desert and now the streams of the Spirit is flowing in us. We are no longer a desert. We've become the oasis of God. Think about that. You are no longer a desert because a desert is dead. You are now have become the oasis where God dwells. And now we have rivers of living water flowing from the inside of us. And now we can invite people to come and drink of the streams of life that is on the inside of us. Okay? So like I say, this is not speaking about New Year's Day. Okay? It's much better than that. It links to 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I'm doing new things. I'm making a new creature. Behold, what was dead is now alive. What was in the wilderness and what was in the desert, there is now a river. That's the same message that he's using. And he's saying, you used to be a desert, now you're a flowing river. I've never shared that before, but that works. According to Isaiah 43. You used to be dead, now you're alive. We'll say, amen, you used to be a desert, now you're a flowing river. Now you're giving life, because you have life. I think my Lisa referred to it when she was up front, but... We don't have new life in Jesus. We have the life. The only life. Because as the word says, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And we looked at it last week. So everything you did before Jesus, you did as a dead person. Because you did not have life. Now when you have life, you are now new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To know that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. 
not imputing their trespasses unto them. That's what I want to focus on this morning. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The message of come back to God. Amen. The picture that you should have is really that God is standing with an open hand or open arms. Saying, hey, come back. And the world says, no, but God is angry. No, I cannot. I'm a sinner. And God says, come back. So from his side, the arm is extended. Our message is now for people to say, hey, take God's hand. That's the message. That's the message. There we go. <laughs> I can preach without a mic, but then the people online will struggle. Repentance. Change your mind about how God deals with the sin issue. Now, if you think about the year, I know it's been a good year. I know it's been a challenging year. And um, I, I, I'm 100, almost 100% sure that somewhere in one of the messages that you heard, something challenged you. That's good. <laughs> I know in Tigerberg, Etienne has a saying, it says a good word is a challenging word. Because we need to, to grow. If we just hear the same things all over again, then, I mean, we, we're sharing similar things, but we have to go deeper. We have to grow, and that's what we've done in the series. And we're not, we're not sharing to be controversial. We're not sharing to be challenging. We, we, we're studying the Word, and we're coming to fresh life, fresh manna, new bread, and we're wanting to share that with you. But sometimes, someone said this morning as well, the unlearning is more difficult than the learning. And I know for me that is true as well. But I want to have, uh, share some good news with you. If, once you, you swing that pendulum of momentum, like once you start changing, the momentum of growth really picks up. Life really is all about momentum. Business is about momentum. Who struggled this last few weeks to get things done? Why? Because the momentum slowed down drastically. People are at New Year's functions or end-year functions or they don't answer the phone or they're tired. And, and everyone says, but I know you're going on a break, but just, just for me, just finish this, just for me. And when the 15th person has asked you that, you're like, there's many just for me here, so it's not going to happen, sorry. And then somewhere you just quit. Because why? The momentum has, has stopped. But now I came to a place where what I used to believe was challenged and, and I would... I would sort of be even upset with it. Because you know what? It brings a responsibility on me now to go study it out. If you just go to a... a um, let me say this. I've been pondering. There's a reason we don't have a big church. There's a number, but there's a good reason. Because we're not grace light. If I gave you 20 minutes, nice oomph, how to grow your business, how to be successful, how to live your best life yet, how to get a new car, how to get a new house. We'd have a massive church. I don't want that. Because this is not grace light. This is grace life. This is for the trenches. This is for when you stand next to the hospital bed. This is for when you lose your job. This is for eternity. This is what we teach. This is what we entrench ourselves in. This is the word that we have. Because it's not just life for now. It's life eternal. Amen? And I want you to realize that, and then I want you to realize that there's nothing wrong with this church because there's open seats. It might be the, con the, the, the contrary. That we're not here to play and just give you a, a lucky packet. We're here to give you a meal. Amen? No one can live off dessert. They think they can. But then when you need to run a marathon, like you don't have what you need. 
we need to do life together, amen? We need to be in the trenches. We need to go on mission. We need to, to study the Word. We need to repent. Not confess. Repent. Change our thinking. Change our mind. What is church? What are we about? Why are we here? What is the purpose of life? You think about it, we share grace, but what we share is the purpose of life. Not just the purpose of life, the source of life. And when people can have... The problem, I think, Bernard, with hyper-grace, as people taught it, it didn't give people purpose. But if you get it, if you get hyper-grace, if you get it radically, we'll see today that it's going to, you're going to get purpose. We looked at it last week. How do you help people stop sinning? We looked at it from Titus 3. And it says we preach the truth, the radical grace message. And when you preach the radical grace message, people stop sinning. Why? Because as you think in your heart, so easy. So if we convince you of your righteousness, of your oneness, of your new life, then you're going to be like Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians 3. He says, hey guys, I know you're lying and you're doing this and you're doing that, but you can just stop. You don't have to stop, but you're making a mess. Live as you are. You see, the problem is a lot of what we preach, or what gets preached, is live as you should be. Like, be holy because He is holy. How do you apply that verse, just by the way? Jesus said, be holy because I'm holy. Jesus said, be set apart. Be different. That's what holiness means. We've made it something else. We, make it, we made it to not sin. Well, you cannot sin and be very, very unproductive. <coughs> or you can not focus on sin and be very productive and probably not sin. Because sin is not always what we think it is. Amen? Even the Word says that if we do anything that is not of faith, it is sin. So sin is not just what you do wrong. Sin is also what you don't do. Okay? But that's why we don't focus on sin. I'm not going to preach on a message, what is sin? I remember from, um, what is it, uh, it was probably still in primary school, C.S. Fear, I remember one class specifically, that was about what is sin. And it, 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 it frightened me so much that, how many years later, I still remember it. But you know what? I remember that one night in Pretoria East, I heard the grace message. One night in Pretoria East, in a home cell, I was invited and someone shared the radical gospel that God is no longer keeping any sin against me ever. So that message of what is sin became irrelevant because no matter what it is, it's not keeping it against me. Isn't that amazing news? So we don't need to camp on what is sin. We need to camp on what is righteousness. What is the new creation? Because even here he says, I will not keep a record of wrong. I will not impute your trespasses against you. So holiness is not about what you are not doing. Think about that. Holiness is not about what you are not doing, but rather being set apart for God's purposes. If you are holy, consecrated, that's why it says the marriage bed is undefiled, the marriage bed is holy, because it's two people who've been set apart to be in intimacy with each other. If you do the same things, and it's not in the marriage bed, it's unholy. But because it's set apart, because it's in covenant, because it's a safe place of shelter, because it's love, now it's holy. Now it's consecrated because it's been separated from the world. And that's what we need to see. We can do great things. We can do even the same things that the Muslims do. 
which they will count as holy, and it will be unholy. Because it's not unto the Lord. You can give food and be... I mean, we're going to struggle to give more than gift of the givers, because they are so inclined to give, but they give to give. They don't give because there's people on the other side. If you give just to give, just for you, it's actually very selfish. Think about it. Some people just give to get. So they're not really about the receiver. Where if we really give, then it's more about the person who's receiving than me feel, feeling good about my giving. Okay, that might go over your head, some of you, but it's actually quite deep if you think about it. Repentance, then, is to change your mind even about holiness. Acts thirteen thirty eight says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you, what? The forgiveness of sins. What is your message? The forgiveness of sins. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I know for this reason Christ came into the world to save sinners of which I am chief. He says, I can debate many things, but this I know. This is why Jesus came, to save sinners. Amen? And I was one of them. He said I was the chief one. This man we preach unto you, what? The forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from. The word from there is what's interesting. The first time I saw it, they weren't justified to or for. We often think about justification is for. I'm justified to receive. Well, this says justified from. From. Even the New King James gets it from. You see, uh, I mustn't fall. I've, I've fallen too many times. You are justified from something. What does that mean? Well, it means you've been separated and there's a departure from all the things that, was counted, that you were counted guilty of. And it is just. Just speaks of the justice system. So you can think about it. It's paid for. It's separated. It's departed. You have separated. You've been made holy. You've been justified from. You've been removed. You've departed your old self and now you're in Christ. And it is amazing to that he adds there, he says, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Some people don't have this verse in their Bible, unfortunately. Or they don't read it. Because how many people we know still try to get the law of Moses into the school system? Or they think the law of Moses is how we're going to get more holy people, more holy communities. Well, it says you cannot, because the law has made no, no person perfect. If you think about it, the law really didn't make anyone better. It just made you more aware of sin. But the word says they sinned before the law and they sinned under the law. <laughs> They're still sinning, I mean. So sin has never been dealt with except in Christ. The word justified there means you have been rendered innocent. Because if we now look at your past, we don't see your past. Because you've been engrafted. And when we look back at your tree, we only see the root system of Jesus. Amen. We see the, 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 the rings that tell His story, which is now your story. And you bear fruit now that's not your fruit, but His fruit. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, not according to, new, different, which my covenant they break. 
although I was an husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts or in their mind. Amen. And write it in their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Isn't that beautiful? Nothing about performance. Nothing about what you should do. Again, I will. I will. I will. That's so many times. Ezekiel 36, we saw the same thing. And then it says in verse 34, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest, says the Lord. Why? For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Isn't that beautiful? You see, this is Old Testament verses. I've shared before with you that I've spoken to a Sangoma on the streets in Stellenbosch, and he said to me, oh, you guys probably just believe in the New Testament because it's easy. Well, you, you can see like this misunderstanding that leads him to that wrong conclusion, but this is Old Testament. This is actually, if we look at covenant, the original covenant. And we said it before from Galatians 3. Um, he writes and he says, listen guys, the promise that God made to Abraham. Now, if you know your Bible history, that there was no law. Moses wasn't born. <laughs> okay? When Abraham was, was counted righteous, Moses wasn't even in the picture. So who brought the Ten Commandments? Moses did. Okay? So Paul writes and he says, guys, what was promised, something that happens 430 years later, cannot disannul the promise originally made. So if God says, I'm going to make you righteous by faith, now the Israelites come and they have a hard heart of unbelief, and now there's a system that shows them actually just the law to show them their sinfulness so that they can turn to what Abraham believed in. That's the purpose of the law. But somehow we want to perform and we want the scoring system and we understand the Ten Commandments, we think we do, until Jesus comes and says, hey guys, it's, it's much deeper than what you think. But the law has made no one perfect. The, the righteous... You cannot be righteous by the law. These verses are in, in, in the Bible, not just our Bible. And I will remember this sin no more. Amplified Classic, I like it. It says, And they will no more teach each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. They will recognize, understand, and be acquainted with me. It's intimate. It's for you. It's for me. What's the word the song? And it's for the entire human race. Yes. Michael Jackson got it right. Just the source is a bit different. <laughs> it says here, From the least and to them the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will seriously remember this and no more. Seriously. I'm, guys, I'm serious. Because why? Behold, God is doing a new thing. He's no longer imputing your trespasses against you. He is really, really, really not, seriously not, remembering your sin. Isn't that great news? Now, we've made rituals in what we call uh, church services that are specifically focused on remembering your sin. Anyone ever attended one of those? <laughs> Did you sin less? No, don't answer. <laughs> it's not godly. It's ungodly. 
what it means ungodly. It is not according to God's plan. Because God says, I'm not remembering. I don't want to be reminded. So why do we... You see, it's all about the self-righteous pride. I've been meditating on pride, and I'm not sure when I'll share on it, but pride really is, is, is a bigger issue than we think. Pride is the original sin. Pride says, I can do it. I, I can do it. God, just check. Watch this. And that's famous last words, if you ever heard that joke. Watch this. <laughs> then they're dead. We can't do this. The Israelites couldn't do it. Moses couldn't do it. For years and years, they, 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 people can't do this. That's why Jesus did it. Galatians 2 verse 19 says, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Now, remember, we're looking at how do we apply radical grace in our lives. Well, you need to realize that you're dead to the law. So I'm not going to, like, the problem with a message like today, you can't really be so practical. Because it needs to be a heart change. And when the heart changes, the, you, you, you forgive once you realize that you're forgiven. Why are you dead to the law? So that you might live unto God. Isn't that amazing? So, even just that verse contrasts a lot of things. So if you're dead to the one, you can be alive to the other. If you're alive to the law, then you're dead to God. Because the law cannot make you perfect, which means the law cannot give you life. Jesus' words in John 5, it says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But those are the very things that speak about me. So it's not about the, the musts and the shoulds and the shouldn'ts. It's about who's in there. It's about the one who was promised to Abraham. For I am crucified with Christ. So when I look at my history, you know what? In that tree that we've been engrafted in, there's a cross. There's a cross in the past of Christ. Now that past becomes my past. That history becomes my history. So I have been crucified with Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I wasn't on a cross. But there's a cross to my account. That's what the verse is saying here. Because I've been engrafted into the one who has paid on the cross. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, he's trying to explain this to us. Yet not I. I'm not the source of this life. He is. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. How do we apply radical grace? We live Jesus. We become convinced of Him in us, and Him now through us. Christ's past is now your past. Therefore, Christ's crucifixion is now your crucifixion too. And you and I now share in His resurrected life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's no other life. There's the life. It is the, the deep. It's, it's this one. There's no other. 
Either you have life or you don't. Either you have the sun or you don't. Same thing. The reality, the life. There is no other life and there is no other way. Okay, living grace or applying radical grace. Let's make one, one challenging statement. Just so you don't get comfortable. It's December, I know. So before the cross, there's a command that we have in Luke 6.37. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Sounds easy, doesn't it? It sounds impossible to me. But anyways, forgive and you will be forgiven. Okay? Matthew 6.12 is the so-called Lord's Prayer. And it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, you know, when you have that asterisk and they say terms and conditions apply. <laughs> so there is terms and conditions applying to your forgiveness before the cross. Read the fine print. It's on the screen. You're only forgiven if you forgive. I mean, I'm just reading the Bible. Amplified Classic says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. Now, the Amplified brings it across. Left, remitted, let go of, and have given up resentment against our debtors. So now it makes it a heart issue, actually. Like, we're not just saying we're forgiving, but have we even given up resentment? And only then will you be forgiven. Okay, it's a tall order. But I've got good news for you. Because after the resurrection, Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.32, and he says, and become useful... And helpful and kind to one another. Maybe we must start off the year with that verse. Become useful <laughs> and helpful and kind to one another. Tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, loving-hearted. Forgiving one another readily and freely as God in Christ forgave you. Flipped it on its head. Before the cross, you only get forgiven once you're forgiven, really forgiven. But now you can forgive. Why? Because you've been forgiven. So how do you apply radical grace? You meditate on how much you've been forgiven. And when you get that, you'll forgive. Because you know the word give is in forgive. The deep revelation this morning. Now I'll only forgive if they ask for it. No, they don't ask for it. You give it. Forgive. I give. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, no longer counting men's trespasses unto them. Why are you not forgiving? Because you're still counting men's trespasses unto them. Love keeps no record of wrong. Again, it's easy to say, thank you Jesus, but it's challenging to say, okay now, maybe I should get my eraser. Or rip out some pages. You see, I've done those things where you write your own sins and you put it on a cross and then they light the thing on fire and then it's gone. It's very weird if you say it like this now. Which is the one way that we feel good about ourselves. But now what if I ask you to write down the things people have done against you and throw that in the fire? I wouldn't put it on a cross. <laughs> That's a bit weird. But just throw that in the fire. Just let go. I mean, we don't need to do a ceremony. You can just do it in your heart. Because you can do the ceremony and not do it in your heart and it won't help you anything. 
But you give. You, you give freedom. You give forgiveness. Amen? Without bounds, without conditions, without keeping record of wrong. Without holding back. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians 5.23 And love keeps no record of wrong. So the fruit means it comes effortless once we're engrafted into the tree. So now the fruit is love. So really, how do you apply radical grace? You have to be gracious with yourself. First, you need to forgive yourself. You need to let go of your own wrongs and your shames and, and the things that you hold against yourself. But then you also need to be gracious with yourself in the process of applying this. The same mission, now you give. Because what, say there's a husband and spouse here and now you have a, a tiff this afternoon and you say, but Peter said, you better forgive me. <laughs> you try that <laughs> and you tell me how that worked out for you I'll be praying <laughs> the fruit of the spirit is love and love gives love doesn't keep love doesn't keep a record of wrong but love gives forgiveness you see love is not closed handed love is open handed for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Love gives. Love doesn't keep. That's why love cannot keep a record of wrong, because love is not in the business of keeping. Love is only in the business of giving. Love gives and gives and gives. It forgives. Amen? Love is all about relationship and not about performance. Love is all about relationship and not about performance. But I have asked you so many times just to do the dishes or just to let the toilet seat down or just to pick the toilet seat up or depending on where you are. Whether you stand or sit, amen? Isn't the relationship more important than the toilet seat? I'm just asking, by the way. One of those all-time examples, isn't it? Who invented, who invented the toilet seat? How many fights have that person caused in life? <laughs> this is where I need to stop. But we're all thankful for the toilet seat, aren't we? Love is all about the relationship and not about the performance. Love is about contending for the heart, not for the action. So as you can hear, I've had some time to contemplate and meditate and, and ask the difficult questions. And even in conversation, like, how do you apply radical grace in parenting? It's contending for the heart, not for the action. Because often we do it out of pride. I don't want to stand here with a red face when my kids misbehave. So now what I'm actually doing is I'm putting all that pressure of my performance onto them. Where... Isn't it more important that I have a hard connection? And then whenever the, 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 the training happens, there's a reception for what I'm trying to impute to them. And then one day they will get it. I think I shared it last week, but Jordan bashes into the room whenever I get dressed. And now Natasha's trying to teach him, and I am too, that we usually knock when the door is closed. Because it's fine if it's me, but what if you're visiting? Or Omar's visiting, or someone is visiting, or someone's using the, the loo. So now he bashes in 
He did it this morning again. And then he's like, Wachatz. Then he goes out and he closes the door and he knocks. So technically he failed the test, if you look at performance, but there's progress in the fact that he's receiving training and that we're keeping his heart. Now he's wanting to do it, not being forced to do it resentfully. It's much, difficult, much more difficult, but it's the only way, because it's love. And isn't that how God is with us? You said you're not going to fill in the blank. You said you'll never do it again, Lord. <laughs> Barrent is laughing. <laughs> Haven't we all? Haven't we all? And then? But there is at least remorse. Wachatz. And you go back. And you close the door. And even though you've just stepped over the, and sinned, there's a relationship. There's a heart-to-heart -heart connection with your father. And you say, sorry, Dad. And you knock. I say, Lord, I, I really didn't want to. God says, come in, my son. In fact, he opens the door for you. And there's a connection. There's a heart-to-heart. -heart. How do you know if it's working? Well, is it drawing you closer? Or is it causing performance but distance, separation? You see, we're not separated from God if we live holy. We're separated unto God when we live holy. So it's really more about the unto than the action. It's really more about where we end up than how we get there. Because for God, it's all about relationship. Grace is transformation over behavior modification. And love is contending for the heart, not for the action. Grace is transformation, not behavior modification. Love is contending for the heart, not for the action. I want to give you one radical grace snippet and then I'm going to conclude the series. Radical grace in the account of Noah and the great flood. This will bless you. Your picture of God might be that He caused this great flood to wipe out sin. That He caused this big flood to deal with the sin issue and to deal with everyone who didn't listen to Noah's message. We asked it, and we've answered it in the series, that how and why did people die? And the answer was because they weren't on the boat. It's the only reason. They died in the flood because they weren't on the boat. Okay? If God had to build a million arcs, He would have built a million arcs. But there was only eight people wanting to get onto the boat. I think some of them were forced because they were family. But uh, that's fine. They were thankful afterwards. But listen to this from 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. If this doesn't bless your socks off, I don't know what will. For Christ the Messiah, I'm reading the Amplified Classic. Christ the Messiah himself died for sins once for all. That's already enough. Amen. 
the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty. Amen. That He might bring us to God. In His human body He was put to death, but He was made alive in and by the Spirit. Verse 19, in which He went and preached. What? In the Spirit He went and preached to the spirits in prison. The souls of those who long before in the days of Noah had been disobedient. Who did he preach to? The souls of those who were disobedient in the days of Noah. When God's patience waited during the building of the ark, in which only a few people actually ate in number, were saved through water. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that radical? Isn't that... Oh God... Jesus went and preached to those who were kept in bondage since the great flood. We continue to verse 21. And the Passion says, This was a prophetic picture of the immersion that now saves you. Not a bathing of the physical body, but rather the response of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This thing, which we call baptism, is actually so much more. Verse 21 there says, this is a prophetic picture of the immersion that now saves us. Speaking about the great flood. Not a bathing of the physical body, but rather the response of a good conscience before God. Why do we have a good conscience? Because of Jesus. Not because of us. You might think, yeah, because I'm living better now than I ever did before. Well done you. <laughs> I have a good conscience because I'm paid for. Amen? Because God is not counting and holding my sins against me. The word translated conscience actually means a joint knowing, a virtuous co-knowledge or a co-perception. Meaning that we have a good co-knowledge, a joint knowing, a virtuous, life-giving knowledge because we have Him. What we now know gives us life. Amen? What we now know is what we hold on to. I think we have a picture for that, yeah. A prophetic picture of the immersion that now saves us. Not the bathing of the physical body, but the response of a good conscience before God. Why? Because Christ is resurrected. Amen? You can have a good conscience. You can sleep at night. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. Amen? Galatians 3, th uh, 27. For as many as of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The Passion says it beautifully. It says, faith immersed you into Christ. Engraved. Immersed. Overwhelmed. One with. And now you are covered and clothed with His life. Isn't that beautiful? He is life and you are now in life. You are in Him. You are now one with life. So how do we apply grace? How do we live out this radical grace message? 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And that He died for all, that they which live should henceforth, or from now on, live not unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. 
Isn't that beautiful? Grace doesn't only save us, now grace enables us. Grace doesn't only get us born again, it gives us purpose. Grace gives us a reason to live because now we have a message to preach, but we have a new, a new life, we're new creatures, we're new creations, we have power, amen? We're not just doing it because we have to, no, we're doing it because we get to. Because it's the most amazing thing ever to teach someone, to tell them to come and join us in this co-knowledge of virtuous life that we are now one with Christ. That God is never, ever, ever, ever again going to think about your sins or hold it against you. That there is no way for you to become perfect, holy and righteous except through faith in Christ Jesus. And when you believe, you receive. You are one with Him forever, for all eternity. That's radical grace. The God who no longer imputes your sins against you. Who keeps no record of wrong. The one who came not to condemn but to save. Not to get but to give. Not to receive but to pour out His life in you, in me, for all eternity. God is is gooder than we think. But as we get to know this God more, the more gooder we see that He is. And as we behold, we become. That's what Paul writes and he says, become imitators. The word followers um, steals from us. The translation is incorrect. Because followers is distance. But the Greek word there is imitators of me as I'm an imitator of Christ. Because an imitator speaks of family. Jordan imitates me. Sometimes he irritates me as well, but that's a different story. <laughs> he imitates me. Why? Because he's wanting to be as I am. So my responsibility is let me be as he is, so that whoever follows me aren't like I am, but like he is. See, then I get out of the picture. I'm just a conduit of life. A conduit of this message, of this life source. And that's really what I want to leave you with is, we don't just have a message. We have the purpose of life. And with that we have the source of life. And when you sit around the turkey, or the scar boat, or the gammon, if you're so inclined, let the conversation be about the true sense of life. The true source of life. The true purpose of life. You see, we can say, yes, Jesus is the story of Christmas. Yes. But He is the source of life. Eternal life. And that's why we will celebrate Christmas. But we will share about more than a manger. We will share about what He came to do. Eternally. And when we share a new year, and we embark on a new chapter of our lives, God's not going to do a new thing. God has done a new thing. And the new thing is Christ. And you and I are now new in Him. And the beauty is that the ever-cleansing blood ever cleanses. So whatever you're forgiven of, you stay forgiven of. 
Some people think, yeah, but it's easy for me to start over and come to Christ and get born again. But what if I sin after that? It's a very good question. John writes about it and he says, the new creation cannot sin. Because if you think about it, the word hamartia, really one of the definitions is missing the mark. And we have an incorrect picture because we think about a dartboard. And we think at least now I'm going to hit the 25 and maybe not the bullseye. But hamartia means missing the mark, meaning missing um, the mark is more of a, uh, it's not a verb. It's an identity. The mark of Christ. The mark of Christ. If you miss the mark of Christ, then you're a sinner. If you have the mark of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, you've been sealed, you've been branded by the Holy Spirit of promise, you have the mark. You can no longer miss the mark. You've received the mark. In fact, you exceed the mark if you want to go that way, or you're so inclined. But you have the mark. You are branded. Christ's. So you can no longer be an unbeliever. And John 12 says that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, which is unbelief. So you've got nothing to worry about. That's my message this morning. You've been branded new creation, one with the Spirit, Christ for eternity. Sinner doesn't live in that realm because you've been born from sinner, been raised to son. Ladies, start seeing yourselves as sons. In a politically correct world, we're trying to make it sons and daughters. It's incorrect. Because you miss out. I'm not saying you're not female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. We're all sons carrying forth His purpose. His destiny. His name. His identity. His inheritance. That's what we mean when we say son of God. And you're not outside of that. It's time that the ladies in church, the females, stand up. Because we can't have half a team on the bench and think we're going to win the fight. We need women to preach, to stand up, to disciple, to evangelize, to go out. Amen. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, And if you're ever in the Stellenbosch area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.co.